0: This ChoirCast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathos, available now on Amazon.
1: How can you be part of a religious community that's straight up behind signs it feels or see good asses of business? The church seems to be stuck they in their
2: ways to when the rest of the culture is being.
1: Why are they so obsessed they with gay people? They keep trying to give
2: answers, but they never don't even know the questions we're asking. Ask as ask the church is the most vocal, political voice against women. Some churches still don't want to be that worship will the actual people. How can your story be good because that is the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually good? It
1: seems like so much of the church's is too narrow judgmental and disconnected from what is truly happening
2: in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy and today our very special guest is dr carmen Acevedo butcher and dr Acevedo butcher is an internationally acclaimed speaker author, educator, and poet. She earned a PhD PhD in medieval literature at the University of Georgia and currently teaches in the college writing programs at UC Berkeley. She also spends time conducting workshops on inclusive language as praxis and on collaboration with Gen Z. She is an award-winning translator of the works of some of the greatest mystics, and her most recent book, The Practice of the Presence, is a revolutionary translation of the wisdom of the classic by Brother Lawrence. There's much more about her bio, many more places she's taught, awards, amazing things she's done, which if you check out her website, you can see all of those. And I encourage you to do that. I'm going to stop right here for the sake of the, of the intro and the time. So Dr. Acevedo Butcher, thank you so much for being with me personally and with the listening community of The Church Needs Therapy as well.
1: Thank you for having me Kevin. It's just so wonderful to be here. Mm,
2: yes, so so good. You know, I want to begin not I don't think and by the way you're talking to a person who didn't take their education seriously until grad school. Okay, so I wasn't somebody who I didn't read the classics growing up. You know, I had a whole different experience. I was, okay. a quote, a, I was a quote I was a quote-unquote, you know, troubled youth. We weren't really reading the classics <laughs> at that time. And You know, medieval literature, right? We're talking about then 13th century mystics, and we're talking about Spain, and we're talking about scholastics, right? All of these fascinating and sort of enigmatic voices, you know, mysterious things, right? And I begin with, you know, with this translation in the context of faith and history. You know, a lot of people who listen to this, they're going to identify with you know the christian tradition at large regardless of how they feel about it right now right in in the context of faith and history especially within the christian tradition how did you connect with or fall in love with medieval literature right and what place do these works have in our great tradition like where do they fit what role do they have why did you get drawn into this you know how does that happen
1: yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people I grew up with would be going, how did that happen? <laughs> because I grew up in a part of northwest Georgia that was not really it was, you know, we were the country and I loved it.
0: Mm. We
1: used to play um, pickup games in uh, our like back pasture and we would use the flat cow patties mm. for bases. And then, like a cereal, the dried ones, and then the cereal mm. box for like home plate. So, what I'm saying is that's like a I, movie.
2: That's like a movie for real.
1: That is, I mean, like <laughs> you know, it would just be people in the neighborhood and you'd come mm. along and you play. So, I always so, how did I come to it? It gives me great hope, in fact, because mm. I really had never heard of Lexio Divina growing up. Mm. I was raised in the Southern Baptist. Um, evangelical church so the one thing that i did get from that that was helpful was that we my mother is a person of faith and very genuine faith and mm. she said you could memorize bible verses well what i didn't know then was that if i memorized them eventually what happened was i did more than memorize so it it ended up being like lexio divina in reverse so like mm-hmm. you're trying to memorize, but then you're falling into actually living with these verses. But I had dyslexia, so mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really. So I really had a hard time reading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I didn't think of myself as a Scot, like I, like I didn't grow up going, I'm a scholar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I grew up thinking I can't read and I'm, I'm dumb. Like, Mm. literally, I thought that. And Mm. so I had these wonderful, kind teachers who saw promise in me, and it's made me a kinder teacher. And so I went to a lot of sermons that were very uh, punitive theology, (laughs) much about the erecting sort of a kind of uh, scoreboard in me of Mm. ways I had not lived up to this ideal that seemed to change a lot, Hmm. um, but was really kind of impossible to live up with, up to. And then I find myself in graduate school, mainly because my sister was there. Hmm. My sister was studying to be a nurse. And I was like, I have failed at so many things. I had had like a nervous breakdown at the end of college Mm. and I had been working at a furniture store as a, what we called then a secretary typing.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And so my sister was moving to Athens, Georgia. Mm. So I didn't go there thinking, Hey, I will study medieval literature. No, Mm. no, no. I went there thinking I'll live with my sister.
0: Mm.
1: And I needed a job because she's not going to put me up, you know? (laughs) So I found this job uh, teaching or actually working as an assistant in the German department. And by the time I got there, it was gone. So I thought maybe I can go to graduate school and work as a teaching assistant. So that happened Mm. mainly so I could live with my sister.
0: Mm.
1: And in doing that, one of the um, I spent the first year or two studying uh, actually American lit. And Mm. I had enough hours to have a master's degree in it. But all of a sudden, I've been living my whole life by these tugs of the spirit, Mm. taking care of me without Mm. me even intellectually, like knowing. Mm. I felt this tug to like English literature, meaning British literature. And that was because my favorite English teacher in college taught German so if I studied English literature, I could go back to old English, which is like German. And so I started studying British lit. And in order to study British lit, you have to study all the things you never heard of. Mm. And one time they handed us this thick anthology of best hits of British lit medieval mm. days. And I'm like, whatever, <laughs> you know, because I, I don't know. And all of a sudden, there were these women. Mm. They were strange mm-hmm. and beautiful.
0: Mm.
1: And they talked about the blood of Jesus. And they mm. talked about, um, in a different way than I'd ever heard of it.
0: Mm.
1: And they talked about um, Jesus and God as she.
0: Mm.
1: And they they really brought religion into a personal relationship that i could relate to they spoke Mm. in ways that as a woman i could relate to it and i was like who are these people
0: Mm. and
1: at that time i didn't know they were the women mystics Mm. from that period they were just these amazing writers from long ago talking about this christianity i'd never heard of Mm. And during that time I was suffering from severe depression Mm. and I would carry around a three by five card with typed on it or written on it, a verse. Mm. And I was doing Lexio. This, this is what gives me hope, Kevin. I was doing Mm. Lexio Divina before I knew that's what it was. Mm. And so that was kind of the way that I came into them. Uh, and you want to know what else about the history, but I mean, this is, it was really truly just a gift. You know, James Finley talks about how mm. this contemplative path is really a gift to us. Mm. And then we just show up and try to make it, make our lives more open to it and notice it more, pay attention. Mm. More. Mm. Mm. So that's yeah, how that, that's, that's really, amazing. it was a gift.
2: Yeah. You know, I just, I've come to love after my wife and I transitioning out of our roles at the church, it gives you time to reflect on you know, even before so too, but with even more space to be like, what do I love about this, right? What what am I good at? What am I love? What gives me life? What are some of the challenging parts that aren't my favorite, but you have to accept as a part of the whole, right? It's a part of growing up. You know, you there's administrative things to do, logistical things, right? I suck at those things, but I, I do them and they're a part of it. And then there's other parts, you're like, I'm not good at that. You know, that other people, that's their strength. And that's awesome. You know, it gives you a chance to think about that. And, you know, one of the things I love doing, and that's why I started with a part of what I'm doing now, a spiritual direction is like, I really love one-to-one listening to people's stories, helping them listen, discern, pay attention, have new ways of seeing or whatever for their own journey at their own pace and i just love the uniqueness of everybody's stories you know i really think about our lives as an unfolding like Rumi says like don't settle for others unfold your own myth so it's like the south and cow patties i've never heard of that in my life to this day that was new for me and you think about that and how does a young southern girl with dyslexia thinking this about you know having this narrative that comes from that stumble into this and then keep going and become like to me I'm like one that's just one of the beautiful parts about life is just the weird and I don't mean that in a pejorative way but just the weirdness and the amazing thing of all of our stories and also you know that that cool insight of you know, it's like, oh, I knew that band before they were popular. Like, I, knew, I I was doing Alexio before it was Lexio, you know, like that type of thing. But I connect with that because that was an ongoing, encouraging part of my own journey. Like, not really being in the church. Like I, I was in a Catholic church when I was little of my parents and stopped going. It was just indifferent, basically. But then my own experience of wisdom, like from all of creation, you know, just listening be like, this makes too much sense. You know, the spirit that's speaking in and through and as creation to me. And then when I received the Bible later in life and I hear and I read the Proverbs and it's, you know, wisdom calls out from the streets, you know, and the the Proverbs writers reflecting on ants and the wisdom. And I went by a field and I applied my heart to what I observed, just looking at creation. I was like, Oh, I, I did that oh, like, okay, that's, it's confirming that which I already knew was true. But I'm like, oh, this is a thing beyond me, you know? And I think when you talk about the Lexio, there really is something profound and powerful about your intuitively or instinctively or personally doing something Then you're like, oh, this is, I'm a part of a bigger thing where this is happening. You know, I love that part of the story because that is such an encouraging and just cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah.
1: I totally agree, and one of the I really relate to what you're saying because um it just shows how it's not limited, it's not a gate kept experience mm. it's um it's available, always available, and the main thing is this um recognizing our need of it and recognizing that it's always available,
0: mm. so
1: working out of a abundant mindset rather than mm. a scarcity mindset, and for me, Kevin, one of the most really um, foundational experiences of my life was experiencing childhood trauma Mm. and that actually I really relate to the stories Mary Oliver has told. Mm. She says that nature saved her.
0: Mm.
1: And when I was young, before I knew what I was doing, uh, you know, one of the things we did, first of all, was we played a lot outside because our mother, my mother's a very uh, kind-hearted person, and she would shoe. We had four, four of us,
0: mm.
1: and, you know, that's a lot. Uh, and she would shoe us outside so she could get her work done. Mm. And then also we didn't have air conditioning, so it was cooler under the pines. Mm. But then I started really wandering because we had neighbors who were like chicken farmers, and they worked at the cotton mill, and they were just wonderful people. They had that Appalachian um, dialect beautiful language.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: they say hope for help and it you know like Shakespeare writes it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they would say because they were a family and they had like many many acres all around us because they were a family who all lived near each other and they said you can walk anywhere on our land. Wow. That's
0: so so
1: cool. that means there were red-tailed hawks. There mm. were cows because they also had cows. And so I could walk anywhere so you know, when home life became very, uh, very loud and very scary, mm-hmm. if I could, I would just, you know, you just go out. This mm-hmm. is what Mary Oliver is talking about. And so I would mm-hmm. go for these long walks and you learn about Psalm 23 that way, mm-hmm. that nature is a a book for us
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: sense of, you know, it's, it's in a way it's a weak analogy to make because you know, books aren't everything, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's also trying to just say it's another form of communication Mm -hmm. for us. And the spirit speaks and heals. Even you don't have to know exactly that it's happening at the time. Mm -hmm. It's really, I'm really just grateful for nature. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was when I was in graduate school, one day a man who turned out later to be a theosophist, Dr. John Aljo, Walked into advanced grammar and I was scared to the core of my marrow Mm. because he knew everything. He was internationally known, he was brilliant. And he walked into the first day of class, and here's what he said Mm. he took it, actually, he had a bit of the theatrical about him.
0: Mm.
1: He took out his pocket watch and he put his books down. And then he said, Nu shulon Herian rich riches wire may a to the day on tis moja thonk, where coolder fathers while he wundri was, et she dristan or on stalde, he had ship earth and bannum, hellfuntrofa halic shipant, tha miden yard monkinisweard, et etche dristan after theoda Firum Folden, Fraya Almishtish. And then he said, that was Cabman's hymn. And he went into about a five minute explanation, like a really heartfelt analysis of this poem from, you know, the seventh century by a cowherd that worked for St. Hilda mm. up at Whitby. So it would have been cold. He would have been uneducated. And according to Bede, you know, his is the first poem we have in English. Wow, that's that's Christian, um, and it is. Wait for it, praising nature, oh. praising the creator, oh. and this is when you start looking across faith traditions and wisdom traditions. This praise of the creator, oh. and just cultures. If you just look oh. across, this praise of creator. And the sacredness of nature is everywhere. And it's actually one of the founding elements of the Christian tradition. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, how Matthew Fox, Mm. I interviewed him a couple of summers ago, and he says he's been trying to super glue Genesis one back into the Bible. (laughs) Mm. And actually, actually, he said he's been trying to glue it in. And I said, don't you mean super glue? Mm. And um, that, that, elemental joy of the gift just of having earth to walk on. Mm. And then the beauty of it. I was just thinking this morning, I thought I'm so looking forward. I'm going to get to see Kevin, Mm. you know, the making of a mystic letting go and this wonderful podcast. And about that time, an egret flew by me. Mm. And I thought, how can I say in a podcast that I'm in love with egrets? Mm. Like, like I just, they're just, you know, sometimes I thank them for letting me walk through the marsh, which is near mm. where we live in the Bay mm. Area. Um, and so that's uh, part of this tradition mm. of things that I've been lucky to translate is this love of nature,
2: mm. that
1: everything is
2: sacred. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. Oh, it's so good. It, it's you know, I I forget if we if I shared this before we hopped on and started recording, you know, but you know, this idea of like this deep, deep life in God and God in us, you know, this ongoing loving dialogue, this ear in God, God, that whole thing we have, you know, we have our everyday lives and it's like a secret you carry around, but it's a secret I so want everybody to taste and touch, you know, I mean, I was preaching for 10 years, you know, now I've transitioned more into writing, but we want other people to taste that and know it, you know, and I think about Jesus's narrow path for me has nothing to do with who's going anywhere after this, you know, it has to do with who's awake and alive and also following the counterintuitive way of Jesus here right now. And, you know, one of the, I think it's, you know, Abraham Joshua Heschel talks about the miracle of existence itself. You know, how do you, you know, like what you just said, how do you talk about how I love, you know, what was the the bird that you just named? The egret. Like, how do you make sense of that? You know, what do you, how do you say that? What is, and it means so much more than that. It's that, but it's, you're loving the one through the many, you know, and through the many of the individual, it's the whole, you know, so it's all connected, and I have, I forget in, in, in what book, but I, I say like, you know, the mystic is not trying to be grateful for gifts in life because they begin with being grateful for the gift of life. Of course, the specific things, the birds, yes, it all matters. But all of those are taking place within a larger, the miracle of the breath itself, you know, and you can't, you can't, that's not something that's grasped conceptually, it can be, but it's something that is known experientially only, which is one of the great gifts the mystics are inviting us to, you know, like, one writer says, you know, your beliefs are like a menu, you keep arguing over the menu, but Christ is going to be found in the kitchen, you know, always, you know, and we keep calling because we know, you know, what it is to look at that specific bird or for me to look at one plumeria and be like, why are my eyes welling up with tears right now over one flower? but it's cuz the flower is it's a whole and it's a part and it's the miracle yeah. of everything in one thing and it's it's special i love to hear those stories cuz for people it's like when you know you know and you're like oh, i have my version of that bird but it's this plant over here it's that one star i see yeah. and it's it's connecting us all to the same whole so that's powerful yeah what is you know for you now right you know the the most recent book a new translation you know, a revolutionary translation of, you know, Brother Lawrence's Practice of the Presence. What has been and continues to be the drive for you, right? You stumble into and discover this love for medieval literature, these powerful, strange, amazing, you know, like profound women Christian mystics. And obviously you're going to be reading more. What has been and remains to be the drive for you? I assume it's got to be hard work. You know, I took, once and when I took French, once they started conjugating verbs, I was like, I quit. You know, so I assume it's hard work, <laughs> language, and and doing all that. So what what is for mm. you that real engine that keeps you doing that work? Because it's such mm. a unique thing, you know. Mm, that's,
1: that's such a good question. What drives me? I would say that it's always been partly a love of words. Mm. But it's always this tug of my heart and you know how it must be incredibly um, complex and a lot of work to do a podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like when you really love what you're doing, it just becomes part of the process. Mm -hmm. This is why I tell my students, um, you know, where I teach um, at Berkeley, when I'm teaching research, I tell them don't think what, don't pretend to think that I want you to research something. I want you to hunker down and we have some exercises for them to discover what do they want to research in my class? I said, because mm-hmm. then when you hit dead ends and then when there are frustrating aspects of the process, you're like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm going, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and yeah, it's difficult sometimes, but the difficulty is part of the, joy in the end, because then when it gets difficult, I just say another prayer of like, what am I supposed to do with this aspect of it? Mm. But what mostly drives me is this hunger to be whole. Mm. It really um, began because, you know, I've um, translated first the cloud of unknowing. Mm. Actually, before that, I translated Alfred of Ennisham for Mm. my PhD, and he's a 10th century Benedictine monk. So Mm. I've only translated people who are all about God's mercy, God's mm. love. Creation is mm. to be praised like Cabin. Um And when I translated The Cloud of Unknowing, Kevin, you'll appreciate this. It It is written in a way that when you read it in the Middle English, you do contemplate. Mm. And Thomas Keating talks a lot about how when we contemplate, if it's like two 20-minute periods a day, if it's like maybe walking meditation, if it's chanting, if it's sitting one session a day, if it's however people do it, um, then it brings up our stuff. It's like mm. shadow work. Mm. And, you know, he often would say, then you want to, you know, find a companion, a spiritual companion, mm. a spiritual mm. director or therapy. Mm. And so literally translating the cloud of unknowing, I was pulled to it. Mm -hmm. Like literally I finished one book. And then I was like, what was that book I read in graduate school? I couldn't even remember the name, but it spoke to me in, in an anthology, just excerpts. I don't Mm -hmm. even remember who translated because I wouldn't have noticed at that point. And it spoke to me and actually it was like getting a phone call. And I know this will sound, you know, I just have to realize that, you know, it was my experience. It was a really clear pull. On my heart to go find out what that book was. And it turned out to be The Cloud of A Knowing. So I wow. asked a publisher, could I translate this book? Because I was pulled to it. And they said, we've just done it. But you might want to contact Shambhala. And they mm. said, I contacted them. We were looking for somebody to do that and you're qualified. Wow. So, yes. So, mm. what I'm saying is translating it brought up a lot of my, um, you know, difficulties in life and soul wounds and was healing. And at the very end of it, I had a experience of a free fall Mm. and I had tried therapy before, but hadn't found a good therapist. And I found a good therapist this time and had pretty intensive therapy for Mm. um, over a year, right after I finished translating it. And that was, Hard wow. and wonderful. So really, I find it healing. And then you talked mm. about um, Brother Lawrence. The way he came to be was <clears throat> I had this um, editor who kept saying to me, would you like to do another book? And I, my father had died and um, we had moved across country. And you know how that's involving. I had been through a takeover of the small college where I was a um, full professor, tenured,
0: mm. Oh.
1: and um, I ended up leaving because of uh, difficulties there, and so we had a house to sell all that, so I kept telling my friend, oh. this this wonderful editor, I don't have the bandwidth, oh. um, so there was grief and lots of things, and then one day we met at the beginning, uh, when right when the pandemic had started, and she said, uh, for two hours, she talked about all these things that were could be good to translate, and then at the very end, before we closed off, she said, what about there's also Brother Lawrence. Uh-huh. There was that tug again. And the thing I love about Brother Lawrence is he brought me the gold in my shadow.
0: Uh-huh. So,
1: oh, my goodness, uh-huh. I can have self-compassion.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Like Brother Lawrence went through hell. Uh-huh. He had a 10-year dark night of the soul uh-huh. where he thought he was in hell.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He was a disabled war veteran, he was he was injured in the war in the 17th century, the 30 years wow. war. He was a nobody in his society. I put that in quotation marks because nobody's a nobody. Mm. But in his society, he was part of the 98% of the nobody, um, the third estate, which one could argue is the direction we're headed uh. with the um, inequities in our economic system that Walter Brugman so shows uh, mm. are so real. And he really had a lot of struggles. He failed as a hermit. Brother mm. Lawrence did. He was known as Nick. So he was Nikolai Hermann. So I actually always think of him as Nick, Kevin. But mm. the world knows him as Brother Lawrence. And he eventually decided to enter the Discalced Carmelites, just means right, shoeless, Discalced. Mm. And they are descended from Teresa of Avila and Juan de Mm -hmm. la Cruz, John of the Cross. And they're all about uh, silence and prayer and, you know, being the spirit of peace and calm in their society. And they, just like during the cloud of unknowing, they had pandemics, plague. Mm -hmm. During that time, they had the tyrant, Louis XIV, for Brother Lawrence. And they had climate crises, so, you know, the wonderful thing about Brother Lawrence is he's totally accessible because he's totally humble. He's mm. very calm. And what he says is, because here's what I think keeps people. I mean, we used to have the guru mentality in the mm. contemplative space of mm. you just got to find a guru. Now it's more like find a companion. Let's walk mm. through this together. But Brother Lawrence says, um, start where you are. He mm. sounds a little bit like Pema Chodron, but he mm. says, "Start where you are." So he doesn't say, "Get your act together."
0: Mm. He
1: doesn't say, "Wait till the crisis in the world is over." Wait until um, we no longer have a uh, climate crisis. Mm. Wait, you know, wait until um, there's a fairer economy. He says, and he doesn't say, "Wait until you've got all your problems worked out," Carmen because I got problems like everybody <laughs> else. He says, start where you are and mm-hmm. just return to love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he says this one thing that I just, can I add this? Cause I know I don't want to make too long of an answer, but like <laughs> he said, he says that when he came to God, he brought in, in a letter to a spiritual director. He says, I brought all of the ways I'd harmed others and myself. Mm. He says, and God, instead of judging me, said, "Hey, have a seat," mm. and served me some food. Mm. And he says he didn't even bring up my past um, mm. sins. Mm. So, isn't that encouraging? That's, That's like That's actually awesome. like good news.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <Because> like, <laughs> it's
1: like it's like it's like there there. He does speak of atonement. It's very um, down to earth about he says, you know, he asked God for forgiveness and then he tried to do better. But mm. then he lives in this conversation with God who loves him and he realizes that he too is love oh, and he oh. has self-compassion. Once I found the self-compassion within me, mm. I was just so grateful. And Brother mm. Lawrence helped me to see that. Mm, that's awesome. He's so simple. He's that's not so powerful. Yeah, he doesn't hurt your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does,
0: uh,
2: yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, it's always you know, I feel like for people who you know, any anybody who is in, desiring, you know, God and intentional about going forward on this path. But then for people specifically who connect with the contemplative stream and the mystics, I look at it like different mystics from the perennial tradition different mystics from the christian tradition it's like there's a river moving forward and each one of them is like a dock and it's like for one person thomas keating is like the dock into the river then maybe there's a couple more you know you you know a lot but there's like one or two or three that like these are really my people you know who just the same companionship wisdom invitation welcome to the river that for one person is, you know, Richard Rohr and Ken Wilbur, and other person's a bit more ancient. It's like, but we're all being welcomed into the compassion to this. Oh, we're okay. like, to me, like, there's such this funny thing of the mystics are like, no, like we're okay. Like just the profound, we're educated and there's histories and this is medieval literature and scholastics and the, the mystics invite us all. in. it's like, you know, the shadow, everything's on the table. And look, look around. We're all okay here. We can, Oh, that, that doesn't have to have power over us anymore. That thing you can bring to the light. Oh, there's love, compassion for that. And it's, you do that with friends, you do that with people close to you. But then when these, there's something really special about these ancient voices, you're like, Oh, we've all been doing this. You know, this is a, a river that's been flowing way before us. Like in the same way Stanley Hauerwas says to be a Christian is to jump on a moving train. You know, and it's like to be a mystic is to jump in a moving river that's been coming before us and we're a part of, and these people invite us in, you know, they're the, they're the one at the Harbor. That's like, my boat is the way you get on the river. It's not about my boat. It's about the river. Stay on it. Come back to it. Come back on, jump on another swim in the river by yourself. Cause that's what it is. So it's amazing how these, the translations, these voices are all still doing that, you know, what it, what it's like to connect with it. So that's, Oh
1: my gosh, I just say this was worth me getting up this morning just to hear <laughs> the dock analogy because I absolutely love that the river. Fl- because I'm I'm also in love with rivers and mm. I just love that river. I mean, you know, that's one of the mystic right images is a river anyway across you know globally, and just this notion of the dock. Mm. I absolutely different docks. I love it, but to me, this the polycentricity of the gospel. So like mm. you know, like the way Julian. Uh-huh. Is all about an individual voice, like, uh-huh. and you know, if we're in union with Christ and our God, God, love, however someone wants to word it, then that I is important.
0: Uh-huh. That true uh-huh. self
1: I uh-huh. is important. So I love your analogy of how everybody finds their own doc Mm. and we can visit other stocks
0: exactly i
1: mean you know like and be very respectful and you know and find the commonalities but i love it too because one of the things on how things are mysterious you know we live in this in this age of the screen Mm. and the age of influencers and how many likes do we get and uh when i did the last book with broadleaf on brother lawrence uh, they were like, "Are you going to open up your social media?" Because like I'm kind of like the person who's always like, "I'm on Twitter and I'm I'm listening. This is great. I'm listening to all the conversations. I'm not thinking about can I post something? <laughs> and people like it, you know? It's more like that's a megaphone. Wow, this is mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. hear. And then, um, you know, you you just start thinking, oh, you want me to open up my social media? Now I've got to. Okay, so I did that right. Mm-hmm. But Brother Lawrence, he wrote letters for friends. Uh We only have 16 of his letters that survived. And the only reason we have those is because after he died, his friends said, are there any more of his letters around that we could Uh read? Because we miss him. So Uh this priest who was a little well off, (laughs) Joseph, went to find the letters for the friends. Mm -hmm. And in looking for the letters, he found these maxims which are just Brother Lawrence keeping a journal, sort of. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we really have of his mostly.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: look, if you think about there are these other people writing at the same time Brother Lawrence was writing just for himself and his friends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not thinking he would post it on
0: Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And the other people writing at the time are really actually some kind people like Archbishop Francois Fenelon in Paris. We have hundreds of his letters. Mm. So what has been kept from history historically has been the wealthy. Mm. Unless by some accident Mm. or relationship, something Mm. else surfaces, right?
0: Mm. Mm. I mean, you know,
1: history is told by the victors or the money.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. But
1: Brother Lawrence came to be because of his friendship with Joseph, the Mm. priest. Uh. So I think sometimes I'm I'm sitting here with Kevin Sweeney. We're talking about Brother Lawrence. If he could see this, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he would be, I don't know what he would do to his. (laughs) I just don't know. He would be, all I can tell you is that during the pandemic, I I didn't even tell the editor. I didn't say, when he said, or there's Brother Lawrence, I didn't say, my heart just gave me a pull. I just Mm -hmm. said, oh, yeah, interesting. And then immediately I started um, to translate. And the way I did it was I went to the digital version at the national library of France. And I typed it without any of the accents. Cause that'll slow you down, but I wanted mm. to feel his words mm. in my fingers mm. embodied. Mm. And then I started translating because Kevin, I'd only read brother Lawrence in the, in translations before mm. and only pieces. And to be honest with you, brother Lawrence in translation, different people translate different things. So I thought, mm. what if his theology is not healthy? Because mm-hmm. I can't translate something that doesn't basically have healthy theology because you mm-hmm. so it's like the most intimate form of lexio Divina. It's like mm-hmm. lexio Divina on vitamins.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: OK, because it's so it's such an intimate form of reading. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri calls translation the most intimate form of reading. And I agree with that. So anyway, I started translating Brother Lawrence until I had a draft that took three months and then it took another year over a year to finish the translation but the rough draft was there and then I met with um, the editor again and said I've translated it and she said well great she didn't even know I was doing it you know because I was because what I found but here's what I found out this is the exciting thing I found out that because you read every translation when you're translating you read every translation you can find Mm -hmm. I mean I have this I have so many translations of Brother Lawrence, and they're good company, because Mm. you wouldn't want to translate necessarily um, Mm. alone, although I do know people who are the first translators of something. Mm. But one of the things I discovered was in translation, usually a binary is put on Brother Lawrence.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, Richard Rohr talks about this dualistic mindset Mm. that we are grown up you know, grow up in and that we're mm. inculcated in
0: mm. and
1: that we just have. And Brother Lawrence didn't have it because one mm. of the things you were just talking about the docs. One of the things Joseph, his friend, says about Brother Lawrence is that he was of no party. He mm. was of no country.
0: Mm.
1: He he was liked by people who disagreed with each other. Mm. Like he had feelings and such but he was able to you know how paul says be everything to everybody mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you don't have your own right thoughts, but he was able to open his spirit to others mm-hmm. in a way that was was beautiful and so what i've discovered is that the mystics in addition to the docks that river is what they have in common and mm-hmm. brother lawrence
0: mm-hmm.
1: is not binary and then have you ever about the language we use to talk about the binary have you ever thought about how binary it is? is like he's not binary he's um you know non-binary i mean and, and i really respect the use of non-binary but what i mean for different gender and you know things but what i'm saying is how ha- even we're caught even in trying to go beyond the binary we're caught in the binary you yeah, know it's using kind
2: of, the thing to define yeah. Yeah, which is still sort of setting the path you're on.
1: Yes, it's still in the binary, (laughs) you know? And so I'm always aware of that. When I was writing the introduction, I was like, so I started using beyond binary or beyond Mm. dualism. Mm. Um, But it's a very tricky uh, system that we're caught in. And I have Mm. great empathy for all of us,
2: Mm. for
1: all of us for being caught in it. But Brother Lawrence, guess Mm. what?
2: That's so interesting. He,
1: he, he doesn't talk about um, sin so much. He talks about how we harm others and he he does talk about sin, but that's not his focus.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: talks about we harm others and ourselves and we can be forgiven. So,
2: yeah, the, no, that's an interesting comment about, you know, the non-dual, the non-binary, and you're still using the thing to help set the table or define the conversation because the, the non is attached to the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And showing Brother Lawrence's sort of universal way of communicating and relating, not because at all times he was intentionally trying to transcend the dualisms or the binaries of his day, but for whatever his reasons were, was never fully formed and shaped by them, right? And that's an interesting point. To make you know how I hear you saying that as I kind of take it a bit you know in my own direction, that is one of the things that I think ends up being very, very innovative and revolutionary about Jesus, because I think there are to me, I would read some of the stories of jesus and and it appears I'm like this is an intentional subversion of a boundary, social, cultural, political sabbath what do you guys think about this and then he tells this story of like oh there's this thing you all see here these lines these barriers that you we all uncritically relate to as if they're like pre they're like metaphysical pre-givens and that are etched into the universe and then jesus subverts and you're like that's just a mind f like whoa like you know disruptive thing and i think those do happen but other times i think the what appears to be subversive, what appears to be innovative and revolutionary is not because Jesus is so intentional about subverting the boundary and the context. It's just that Jesus is so liberated and free from the internal and exterior lines, rules, and barriers we all operate within all the time that for him to just walk, move, think, speak, and live naturally in the world is crossing all these lines not because he wants to cross the line but because for him those lines we all act as if they are not experientially present to him like that to me is some of the things like when you have that much freedom is just moving beyond that not because he wants to critique all these people here it's an implicit critique when you do it but it's just because this is the freedom of moving like this in the world you know so i think it makes sense when you make that connection with brother lawrence because to somehow move in a way where you're freed from those things, like just lends itself towards innovation and lends itself towards so much wisdom because you're just not caught up and reacting to the things in the same way other people are.
1: That was so well said. And I just, (laughs) I love that. That's, I totally agree with that because brother Lawrence does have the heart of Jesus Mm. in that way. And um, I couldn't have said it better. That's absolutely Mm. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over a couple questions about mystics in general because I, you know, I we messaged back and forth about this. You know, I'm like editing and putting together this book yeah. right now called like the Everyday Mystic, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, I, you know, I I can I can edit this part out if you want, but you know, yeah. Doctor Acevedo Butcher, I asked her to be a part of it, and she said no. But I want to let you know, like in my experience, like I said, reaching out to people. I gain so much respect for people who are professionals who just have the courage to just say no in it's a simple time. way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's because it's, I actually, because even when you say this right now, I think, oh, I would really love to do that. <laughs> I just know, I mean, when is it due, by the way?
2: I, I, I gave people it to like the end of January.
1: Yeah. But, you know,
2: the, the reason the reason yeah. why I even like, as I've talked about the book, but yeah. I'm like, it's, it's to show people like there's other people, you know, like this mm-hmm. book is one of them and uh, yeah. reaching out for an endorsement. Like, sure. There's all, there's vulnerability yeah. built into those things, which I accept when you oh, write yeah. the publishing world, you have to accept rejection as a yeah. part of it. But there was a guy who I really respect. And I asked him for an endorsement and he just wrote, he said, no, and it was a really short thing. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Like, that makes me respect him even more. Cause he didn't overly explain himself, which he doesn't owe me. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't like, there was no pretension or fakeness around. It's like, no, and but hey, I hope the best. And I was like, dude, I love this guy. You know, yeah, so I, I, just, yeah, I, just,
1: I, I just I think th- it's a great project. I really wish I could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now that you bring it up again, cause I think, yeah, because I I love your vibe and I love the everyday. Mm. You know, just period, because I, I was thinking about what you were saying about um, Jesus and the way he just moves and the way you did your hands mm, and all that. Mm. And I was thinking, <laughs> I just finished reading recently Elton Trueblood's The Humor of Christ. Mm. And um, I was just it it's made me relook at the parables and the stories mm. because they're actually really um human and they they, you know the way stories are how can I put this stories are you know there's the meanings so many meanings the valences of meanings that can be put on stories I can bring whatever meanings Mm. I see to them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and just the way that it is so stories are disruptive Mm. in a healthy way Mm -hmm. and I was thinking because that's what Jesus did he mostly went around telling Mm. stories he had Mm. narrative instead of this what you were just describing this western conceptual thing where we're just in our heads
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah Yeah. so wow yeah but
2: yeah the reason so you know i brought up you know the question i'm going to go into is yeah you know uh this is something i shared with the people who are contributing to the project and i I brought that up because i want people to know like when i asked you know, Dr. Ospeta Butcher to be a part of it. And she says, no, like I have other things going on. It's like, I'm not personalizing that. I'm not like, Oh my gosh, well, I'm a, I'll oh, never yeah. do this again. Yeah. It's like, well, we all have things going on. There's things that are a good. Yes. Things that are a good no. but now we yeah. meet and it's like, we can still form a relationship. Yeah. So it's, to me, there's just oh, something yeah. good about people learning how to do that. Well, it's not like, Oh, I can't do that. All right. Well, forget me out. Like, now every time I see her,' I'll, no, it's like now we form a relationship. So anyways, I want people to know that publishing, writing, creating anything, you're gonna put yourself out there. There's yeses and nos yes. people will say to you. there's yeses and nos. you'll say to other people. It ain't personal. It's all we all have our lives going. oh, on. well,
1: can so, I so. add on to that then? Yeah. And say, I've asked people before to do um. You know, read it for the possible endorsement, or, or 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 do something, and they've said no, and then we mm-hmm. work together again. Exactly. And you just think you don't, you can't take it personal. I mean, totally. it's like it's not about. It's about, you know, it wasn't a judgment on me. It was just, mm-hmm. they yeah, yeah. So I totally, yeah. That's so, anyways,
2: that, that's a side note for people to hear. By the courage. way, you know, um, courage. But the reason why I brought that up is one thing I shared with the people writing, you know, for the thing is like, James Finley, who I love, who I think is one of the great living mystics in the West, and I think has such a unique offering of his life for us. I really believe that. And he uses this phrase, you know, when it comes to writing of keeping it close to the bone. You know, there's these massive conceptual things and it's important. I love to learn. I love to read. I honestly barely read now that I have little kids, but once upon a time in my life, I read nonstop. It's changed over the past five years. But, you know, that idea of keeping things close to the bone, the embodiedness, wisdom is real wisdom is always embodied you know, it's always through us. It's always not what do we learn, but what do we live? It's not just what do we believe, but who we become. And I think this is one of the gifts the mystics have to offer us. I say all that to say what, how does the contemplative path, you know, in the voice of these great mystics help? Like right now we're in this point, you know, of faith where people are more and more like we're done with the conventional, we're done with the way things have been. Like at a What before was a marginal level, now is getting more and more to the center of culture, of society, of where we are, et cetera. What do you think the voices of, it could be ancient, but also contemporary contemplatives and mystics, what is the good news they're offering of imagining a way forward? What gifts do the mystics bring to people who are giving up on church, which is usually meaning a fundamentalist version of God and unhealthy Christian nationalism in our context, et cetera? What do the mystics say? I get all that, but here's another way. What are these gifts that the the mystics and the contemplatives are offering us right now?
1: They give us tools for Mm -hmm. prayer. And I think that prayer to a human is like song to a bird. Um, I think we do it more often than we think, and we just need to be encouraged to continue to try it. And to, Mm -hmm. as the cloud of unknowing author says, Here are things that work for me. Try them. They don't work for you. Try something different. Mm -hmm. Brother Lawrence says, here are a few things you can say. You can, as you return to love throughout your day, he says, try to do it as often as you can. When you forget, no big deal. When you remember, come back to it. He says, you can say things like, love, I'm all yours. Love creating me a loving heart. Or he says, anything that comes to you in the moment. And so what they give us is a way to be in direct relationship Uh, with something bigger than us that is kind, unknowable, but can be experienced. So I always think of it as, you know, when you're good friends with someone or married to someone or in partnership with someone and it's uh, intimate. uh, So this is a beloved and you've been with them 30 years. uh, and you know a lot how they take their <clears throat> tea, you know, what moles they've had removed or, you know, it's just very intimate things. <clears throat> and yet you look at them sometimes and think, I don't know you, you <clears throat> know, there's like a mystery still. And that's even true of ourselves, if <clears throat> we're being honest. And if we're fully aware of the wonders that we that we're made as, you know, you're like, I know I chip. You know, this, you know, all the different things. Um, but also, we're a mystery to ourselves in a way if we're doing it right. And these mystics give us encouragement that other people have gone before us and tried these ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they've written them down and said, this is what worked for me in my particular life at mm-hmm. this particular time. And then they come through these. Um, groups like the disc house carmelites or carthusians or benedictines Uh or different church communities that are really sort of housing these rivers of you know Uh of tradition that are tradition meaning just given over to someone else Uh and we all interpret it like this midrash we all have this sort Uh of interpretation of what works for me and they give us ways for that so they help us get in touch
0: Mm.
1: with the something more, Mm. which in turn for me and for many people I know uh, gives us the ability to see that we are loved, Mm. the ability to heal,
0: Mm.
1: and the ability to have self-compassion. And along with that, it gives us the ability to not stereotype others because we've come to know I, Carmen, have lived through these things. I've had these difficulties. I've been hurt in these ways I thought I would never recover from. I've had this pain. And then it enables you to more regularly, or at least to know too when you don't, oh, this would have been a good thing to do. And next time I'll work on that, or uh, to step back and to look at someone and think, we're connected. Where are we connected? And so they give us more other compassion too because we've come to know ourselves better. So for example, when I translate, I have to tell you, I have evolved and I hope I'll always evolve. I tell my students on my tombstone, I want it to read. She was a good student. Um, um cause if you're a good student, you're going to have to be caring. Uh, There's no way around it, you know? Um, but I really think that, um, Yeah, I kind of get teary eyed when I think about that, because one of the things during the pandemic that happened was, you know, a lot of my students, their parents died. They are picking um, radishes in central California. They are, quote, essential workers, Mm -hmm. underpaid, mistreated without health care. And when I translated The Cloud of Unknowing, I did think of my students, but I was mostly translating For people my age and above, you know, also I was younger, but now when I translate, I think what kind of world are we living, leaving Uh, young people like you have young children? What uh, I have older children. What's going to happen when I'm gone? uh, You know, what kind of world do they get? What kind of world uh, do they have even right now? And so when I translate now, I think of my students. You know, we were talking earlier, um, I put myself in their shoes. So they give us ways, the mystics, to have more empathy for Mm -hmm. others, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a lot of students who identify and use the term Mm non-binary. And so I absolutely, um, you know, am 100,000% for they use the term that they're comfortable with.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. One of my students and I were having a one-on-one conference once, and uh, they were working on a research project and we were talking, they, they do identify as non-binary. And I said, isn't it interesting? We were talking about the binary because it had to do with their research into Mm. computer games. And I said, isn't it interesting that even to say um, not binary or non-binary is within the binary because by means two. Mm. And they said, that's so fascinating. So we have conversations like this, but you do you. If mm. that's you know, but what I'm saying is just this recognition that we are all caught in this mm. system that's taken on a life and a monetary, you know, it just is is going mm. this greed yeah. machine,
0: yeah,
1: but and it's just comforting, isn't it, to have more community
0: mm. to
1: be because here's the thing. I think you know, Boethius met wisdom when Boethius was imprisoned, um you know, he was like, an ancient, maybe Christian, but he definitely sounded Christian in many ways, philosopher. And when he was imprisoned unfairly because he got on the wrong side of politics, it does happen, a lady wisdom or woman wisdom appeared to him and she said, you've forgotten who you are. Mm. Don't you think, Kevin, that we're in a time period where we're all trying to remember what it means to be human? Mm. And Mm. these mystics, they live in the moment they wash dishes. Brother Lawrence, I didn't mention it, mm. but he spent 40 years washing dishes. This man that we're sounds like we're extolling him. He would be like, I just washed dishes and wrote a few mm. letters.
0: Mm.
1: But he attracted enough attention from people like Archbishop Francois Fenelon and Joseph of Beaufort that, you know, we heard we've heard of him today. But in other mm. words, they let you they let me know that if I'm washing dishes, wash dishes,
0: mm. if
1: I'm you know, making tea, make tea. If I'm meeting with a student, meet with a student and try to do it with all the kindness I have. So there's no small thing. There's mm. no, like if I answer, sometimes I get nervous before I open emails. Mm. It's just because I have severe anxiety. Mm. But when I'm answering emails, I try to mindfully answer emails kindly. Mm. And so they give me the ability to be in the moment mm. and not. Somewhere else, and that mm-hmm. is oh, oh, yeah. supremely restful.
2: It's awesome,
1: they're good friends.
2: Yeah, it's so great. I love that. Such a great way to say that. Well, Dr. Osvedo Butcher, this was awesome.
0: I loved so glad.
2: it. Yeah, so glad we got a chance to do this. How so the most recent book with Broadleaf, The Practice of the Presence, the revolutionary translation of Brother Lawrence. You can find that on Amazon or wherever you get books. There's many other books. Where can people, what are the best ways for people to find you, tap in with your work and your everything you're offering?
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Kevin. They can find me at www.carmenbutcher.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we left out the Acevedo because it was just too long mm-hmm. and hard for people mm-hmm. to spell, but it's A-C-E-V-E-D-O. And I also have a link tree that has like, podcasts mm. and different mm. things and it's nice. linktree Carmen Acevedo butcher mm. and i'd love to see people on social media i'm also on social media thank and you what's so your much.
2: what's your instagram handle can you let people it's, know
1: um you know i can never remember because i changed it recently so <laughs> it's like honestly, cab it,
2: phd i know yeah it's like honestly like that.
1: i really i mean this is like a uh yeah i can look is it. this
2: it's like back in the day when like right now you don't know, like don't know people's phone numbers it's it's i'm gonna tell people it's cab underscore phd so cab underscore phd yeah
1: yeah maybe i need to make it easier
2: yeah so yes this was so so good so please yes follow along with uh dr ospedal butcher's work because youtube you can find talks she's given interviews she's done of others probably one she's done so yes i think uh You know, who would have thought, you know, the translating of texts, 500 years old, still has a way to help lead us to the future, but it does. And it's great work that you're doing. So thank you so much for this.
0: Thank you, Kevin.
2: Okay.